The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. I was born in the and welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Well, today we're going to be talking about political correctness, once upon a time when men were men and women were women and now we're lost and all kinds of other things related to that. We, this, is, this is one of, if not uh, my greatest, pet peeve these days and I am getting more and more concerned about how political correctness is driving this country into the ground. I mean, and making us all crazy. It is just whether it has to do with sexual uh, definitions or, or um, modeling or like, you know, all these, these um, strange things that are happening, like uh, apparently the University of Minnesota is not going to have homecoming king and queen. They're going to only crown gender-neutral gender royals. I mean, I'm all for uh, diversity, acceptance, inclusion, all of those good things, but that's ridiculous. Um, we're going to be talking about all of these things. My guest, who is fortunately with us having escaped a lynch mob, well, you know what, I think I shouldn't be, probably the words lynch mob are not very politically correct either. So there, I already, uh, you know, blew it. <laughs> I already have people angry at me. My guest is Dr. Dathan Paterno. Um, he is a clinical psychologist. He's the clinical director of Park Ridge Psychological Services in Illinois. He's a leading author. He has written a book called Ladies and Gentlemen, also Desperately Seeking Parents, and he is hard at work um, at a book about making parents great again, parenting great again. So welcome to the show. <laughs> right? Uh, lynch mob probably is not politically correct, correct? but that's okay. Between you and I, we can use whatever kind of language works. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Uh, you're very welcome. Well, why don't we, um, we're going to be talking about all these different kinds of topics, but I was particularly intrigued and appalled, actually, um, when I read your real story about what happened to you when you dared to use the First Amendment and make tweets that apparently offended a lot of people. So tell us about that. Sure. The good news, I'll tell uh, your listeners the end story, is that I won. Uh, everything is fine now. But uh, right before the uh, inauguration in January, I heard about the Women's March, and I paid very close attention to who was going to the Women's March and who was in charge of the Women's March. And, you know, I saw Ashley Judd, and I heard her uh, psychotic rant, and I heard Madonna's psychotic rant, and I saw children, four years old, five years old, holding up signs that were pretty disgusting. And yes. so I, I felt like this needed to be critiqued, and I have a very sarcastic sense of humor, and so I went on Twitter, my personal Twitter account, and uh, I made fun of them. And uh, I got lambasted on Twitter uh, pretty quickly. Within hours, there were thousands and thousands of complaints uh, to my local superintendent. I was on the school board at that point, and uh, they made a ton of complaints. They agreed that they were going to march at the next board meeting, which was the next evening, inconveniently. And so it pretty, got pretty overwhelming. And within the next three days, I had hundreds of death threats, and complaints to the licensing board 
and all kinds of craziness. I had somebody uh, making threats about my daughter. I mean, just really disgusting, vile stuff, far outweighing anything that I had said. Well, so let's, I had let's, it, yeah, crazy. give some examples of the tweets, or I have some right here if you don't have them handy. Sure, I'll tell you exactly what I said. I called that subset of marchers who were saying vile and violent and disgusting things, I called them vagina screechers. Okay, and you wrote, Most of these vagina screechers didn't vote, but they mean business. Right. What a farce. Yes, that was the worst thing that I wrote. That was the thing that got everybody in a tizzy. Well, was it the use of the word (laughs) vagina? (laughs) (laughs) Actually, the one that I like was a procession of palpable penis envy. (laughs) Yes. That was another one that got people upset, which is ironic because I don't even appreciate Freud's view of penis envy. I don't even Oh, well, I do. It. I'm a total Freudian, so... Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm not surprised. In fact, but, I so, studied with Anna Freud. Oh, you did? Um, yes, before wow. she, right, soon before she died, so yes. Wow. So, I, I, I mean, people who know me know that that's just me using silly hyperbole, but also mocking a group that I think needed to be mocked. So anyway, I well, wait, voluntarily... Well, wait, wait, let's not, let's not leave out another one here. Okay. <laughs> they're, all, they're all to, uh, alas, because I, this, this offended... They each offended people for different reasons. I thought that was kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the third one, alas, the 300 million pound women march. Yes. <laughs> provides a strong argument for doing away with women's suffrage. I mean, you, you, <laughs> you offended people right and left. Oh, Absolutely. When, <laughs> yes. So was it mostly the mothers, I presume, who were uh, up in arms about this? Yes, exactly. Uh, but once uh, some of the Illinois psychologists got a hold of this, mm. uh, they started to pool their resources and start planning uh, my takedown. Huh. And a bunch of them, and I was privy to this because I'm part of the Illinois Psychological Listserv, and I saw, I could see oh. exactly what they were saying. They were in, you know fuming, and they were um, instigating, uh, going after me, uh, and I was able to see this. Hmm. So I knew that this, this was who was making complaints against my license to the, the licensing board in Illinois. And so I got a letter saying that I needed to go in front of the licensing board and hmm. apologize for my sins and repent. Uh, and I said, no, I'm not going to go because they don't have any jurisdiction over my First Amendment rights. And mm-hmm. so we haggled for a couple months about that. Um, and we won. Well, that part is good, but that must have been pretty scary for those It was. Yes. If people don't know, that's one of the most frightening things that a clinical psychologist or psychiatrist or anybody can go through is the threat of having your license taken away because that's my livelihood. Right. Yeah. Um, You know, this is just, I mean, there was another doctor, and now I can't can't remember the exact circumstances, but do you remember, I'm sure sure as you were going through this, you probably paid attention to, that there had been another doctor, a female doctor, not long before this, that had similarly um, been, you know, uh, riots had, had taken up her cause because, because she, it wasn't about the women's march, but it mm. was something else um, that was, uh, do you know what I'm talking about? I don't know that particular case, but I know, you know, I'm particularly keen on these kind of situations where people are being lambasted for, you know, pretty, you know, okay, so I said some things that pushed some buttons, and I get that. Uh, but, but, you know, people really going after them for speech. Um, you know, I didn't, it wasn't about a, a patient. It was about a subset of a women's march, and it, well, I didn't name anybody in particular and all that. And I, and I have noticed in the last few months since this all happened that this is happening quite frequently. Yes. Um, I mean, I, I know exactly, I, I've done some tweets, not exactly, uh, I mean, in fact, about the women's march, I, I did something, I sh- um, something about, it was Madonna. I was saying something about um, uh, how if these women want to be taken seriously, that this is not a good way to represent them or this is not a good way to show that, that you know, to, to expect to be taken seriously. But it was yep. a little snarkier than that. Mm-hmm. And I know exactly this, the, what you were talking about, about the children, because I did a tweet about that too. There was a girl who, a little girl, cute little girl, well, this was in L.A., a cute little girl was not the women's march, but it was it was she was holding a sign 
Um, I think, well, it might have been related to the Women's March. Anyway, it, ha- it, it had F star star K Trump was part of this part of this sign. And I thought the idea right. of having a little girl, you know, carry a sign with an expletive and, and what did the mother say that that meant, you know, did she really tell her? I mean, it was just ridiculous getting children involved in this. Yes. What I didn't say and could have was that I think that that's a form of child abuse. Yes, absolutely. Yes. So go ahead. So what, tell us about the, so then you went to this school meeting and what did you do? What did you say? I actually re- resigned before the school meeting. I had two months left in my tenure on the school board in a four-year tenure. Uh, we had done the vast majority of our work. There really wasn't that much left to do, and so I decided that I would get out. Um, I didn't want to deal with this mob because I know my mouth. I would have shot back and mm-hmm. uh, accused them of the very thing that they were accusing me, and it probably would not have been productive. Mm-hmm. So I thought it best for my family and for the school board that I bow out. Um, uh-huh. I really respected the work that we did, and I didn't want them to have to deal with this any longer. And frankly, I was eager to get out. So I bowed out, uh, hoping that that would be the end of it all. But then they started coming after me personally and professionally. Um, I had to have the police escort my coworkers, who are all women, by the way, uh, to and from their cars at night. Uh, wow. All kinds of craziness. And of course, uh, and now what did this do to your um, psycho- your psychology clinic? I mean, did how did this yeah. affect your good, your good patient and bad. mode? Yeah, it was good and bad. I lost maybe two or three of my patients, but gained about a half a dozen more because of this. Uh-huh. Um, two of my clinicians uh, left the practice because of it. Huh. Um, which is fine. Wait, um, because of what you said, or because they didn't want to be harassed by the mob? Because of what I said. Hmm. Yes. They thought it was heinous. That Mm -hmm. must have been disappointing because these were people who knew you. Yes. Well, on the one hand, they knew me well enough. They were new clinicians to the practice. And so Uh they didn't really have a chance through our group supervision and things like that to understand that my sense of humor has Uh more bark than bite. Okay. Uh I I love Uh hyperbole. Um, You know, one of the things I, I write in my parenting book is that when I used to come home when my children were young... I would say it's time for the daily beatings and the kids would scamper all over the house and I'd, you know, wrestle with them and tickle them and and it would be our way of saying hello. Uh, Uh But I use hyperbole in in a powerful way, I think. And so they didn't really get to know me well enough to know that I say ridiculous things, but I actually do have something that I mean that's, that's very serious. So do I really believe in that this March was about penis envy or that they were six million pounds? No. But I do believe that this whole thing was a farce, and it was a terrible representation of feminism. Well, um, you know, to some degree, to some degree, I think it was uh, there was some penis envy in there, actually, um, because I mean, that, and then that, this kind of goes into our whole other, you know, the whole other topic or topics that uh, you talk about and that I wanted to talk with you about today, um, and that is. How, I mean, the war, basically, it's the war between men and women, and um, that just takes different twists. I mean, now it seems to be focused so much uh, on the presidential election and who became president, and because there was a, man, a woman running for president, and, you know, there's, there's, there are new twists um, every year or so, but it really is still, whether you want to call it penis envy or just... Uh, uh, the war between the sexes, I, I mean, it is, and now, of course, uh, like what I was saying about the gender-neutral royals, <laughs> there's no king and prom king and queen, uh, I mean, it's, it's just taking, taking different um, colors, but it's really, it's, it's heating, it, it has been heating up, and just like politically we're, we're so against each other, um, you know, men and women are, the war has been heating up as well. I just want to, but before we get into that, I just want to, I, I realized I wanted to um, say something, you know, the, the people that, that your, your colleagues, the psychologists who um, were ganging up against you and, and complaining about you to the board, you know, I have found that sometimes in the guise of uh, some 
some political or sociological statement, you know, that one is supposed to be allowed to make because of the First Amendment, um, that people, that, that kind of your enemies or people who are jealous of you, jealous of your success, use whatever, and yes, maybe they well believe um, in, you know, they were offended perhaps by something, but they kind of use that as a way to try to take you down because really it has to do with being jealous of your success. Uh, that very well may be. I, I, th- I think I understand what you're saying, and I'm, I'm a little hesitant to, to sound like a braggart about this, but uh, I have a unique practice. Okay, First of all, I'm a man, which in our business is very rare. Secondly, I'm a conservative in our business, which is even rarer. Okay, And third, the kind of business that I, I run, I have a unique practice in which I purposely avoid a medical model of mental illness, okay? Yes, I so, read about that on your website. We're not going to agree about that. That's fine. <laughs> We're not yeah, going to agree about that, except that, um, yes. except that I am, one of my other big pet peeves is um, these so-called med visits and psychiatrists who have totally, um, oh, totally given up the fight and uh, do because they want to be paid by insurance companies, um, and who have given up doing therapy, myself not included. I refuse Mm -hmm. to see any patient who won't come to me for uh, weekly psychotherapy, and then if they need medication, I also give them medication. But psychiatrists who have been reduced to pill pushers, seeing patients for 15 to 30-minute sessions once a month to once every three months, um, is is just absurd, and um, and so in that sense, you know, if you're call, I mean, that is part of the medical model because they're they're treating the patients with uh, drugs and not with therapy. But um, and then of course, as the patients don't get better, what do they do? They throw more drugs at them. Correct. So we we probably totally agree on that. But um, but the part that I was reading where you, where you said that. You don't believe, I, I, I don't have your exact words in front of me, unlike the tweets. <laughs> well, here, I'll just say it very quickly. I believe but, um, that we are biological and yes, psychospiritual that, that, and relational. And if we ignore any of those things, we're ignoring the unique complementary parts of our humanity. Well, no, that I agree with. But you were saying something about how you didn't think that there was a genetic component. Correct. Yeah, I don't buy that. Well... Okay. Um, and I know, I know we would disagree on that, but I, I presuppose that most of the psychiatrists that I work with and even most of the psychologists that I work with are going to disagree. So I know that I'm in the small minority when it comes to that. Well, it's just that, you know, in my, throughout my career of thousands of patients, um, there certainly is a, you know, if you ask them about their 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 genetic background, I mean, you ask them, you know, your parents, your grandparents, your aunts, your uncles, your cousins, anybody in your family have any uh, kind of psychological, psychiatric illness, uh, were they ever in a hospital, were they ever told that they, were they ever diagnosed with anything? When you, when you ask about that, I mean, it really is pretty um, overwhelming that not everybody who is, let's say, schizophrenic or manic depressive has someone in there, but, but it pretty, you know, you can, if, well, the problem is these days that people don't know so much because they've moved away from their family and they're not really uh, very aware of all of these things, especially sure. with their grandparents and great-grandparents and that kind of thing. But we, I heard the, um, the music, so we do need to take a break. My guest is Dr. Dan, D- Dr. Dathan Paterno. We're talking about political correctness, uh, sex roles, and everything in between. So stay tuned. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787, Hello? and ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. 
Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, talking with my guest, Dr. Dathan Paterno. He's a clinical psychologist and the clinical director at Park Ridge Psychological Services in Illinois. Uh, He's also the author of, um, well, his latest book is Desperately Seeking Parents. Great title. Um, I just wanted to clarify something. You know, I was kind of feeling under pressure because I heard the music to take a break. But um, I want to make it clear that although I definitely believe that uh, genetic, uh, there, there is a component, a genetic component, um, to at least the severe mental illnesses, um, that all that does is make a person more vulnerable to these disorders, but it is uh, things that happen in that person's life, particularly during their childhood and as well as their adulthood, uh, that, then, that then can trigger this genetic vulnerability, but I am a much more a nurture over nature kind of person, so I don't want that's you know, I just said I studied with Anna Freud, so you would expect as a psychoanalytic thinker that, of course, I would pick nurture as particularly important, but there is a genetic vulnerability, and that, of course, is, is, um, has become and is going to be coming, is going to be becoming more of an issue as more people uh, start smoking pot or eating it or whatever they're doing, and that starts bringing out these genetic um, vulnerabilities, these these psychotic uh, vulnerabilities. So let's. Uh, uh, you can comment on that, or we can go right into your theories of why political correctness is overtaking our world. Sure, I'll get into that. Um, so if you can follow this, I believe that there, there's a few different causes for this. And I believe the media is partly to blame. I believe that academia is partly to blame, particularly the, the hardcore left, um, kind of radical feminist uh, version of that in academia. I believe that my own profession is guilty of this because of the self-esteem movement. And then I believe poor parenting is partly uh, responsible for this. And what I think has happened is that we've, we're building children that are far less resilient. And you know in our business, resilience is just a fancier term for, body, you know, for psyche armor, okay? the ability to withstand the slings and arrows of humanity. Okay? When you and I were younger, it was sticks and stones may break my bones, mm-hmm. but names will never hurt me, right? Yeah. Now, we don't really believe that. Sticks and stones are nothing, and it's bad names or anything like that will devastate me. And so, because we're so easily hurt by things, we either have to just accept that or we have to try to control what other people do and say. And I think that's where we get political correctness. So if I can't handle hearing certain words, what I'm going to do, if, I'm, you know, if I don't have my, my head on straight, is I'm going to try to make you not say bad things that are going to make me uncomfortable. Mm. And so I'm going to tell you not to say certain words so that I don't have to suffer these difficulties or hear certain truths that make me uncomfortable. And I think that's the primary place where we've gotten political correctness. If we were raising children who were far more resilient, they could handle names. They could handle certain uh, nicknames and things like that then it wouldn't bother us so much, and I wouldn't care what you have to say. Does that make sense? Yes, that does make sense. But what about, I mean, 
let's say, racial epithets. Um, I mean, when when was it? I mean, it was uh, it, what really wasn't ever okay to say. I mean, I mean, yes, we have gotten overly. Sure, I, I would. I think there is a, a pretty fine line between what is immoral and hateful, and what is politically correct. Uh-huh. Okay. So, yeah, to, to, to devalue another human being uh, in something that, that I think there would be universal agreement now that calling someone a racial epithet is mean-spirited and hateful and cannot even be considered benevolent, uh, that's not political correctness. I think that's just immoral, okay? However, certain things, you know, you call me uh, a little bit overweight or you tell me that I look silly or you, tell me, you call me a right-wing conservative nut job or something like that, uh, if I can't handle that, well, then I'm going to try to control your speech, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, I wouldn't consider it immoral if you called me a right-wing nut job. I would consider it a badge of honor, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, something like that. So I, I do think that there's a line between what is universally immoral and hateful, and then what is uncomfortable. And we need to be much more comfortable with certain things that, uh, that in our culture we just, we just can't handle, which is very sad. Well, and, and what about the other? You were saying all these different, I mean, certainly the media, um, yes, the media jumps down somebody's throat if they uh, say something that they don't like, or certainly, of course, the... <laughs> I mean, I guess the best example is the media, um, you know, always every day looking for something that they can say about Trump, President Trump, uh, right. to, you know, to, uh, and yet, and yet that's, that, that's okay. That's not considered um, uh, political correctness. I mean, that's, I mean, you have to, you know, it, sure. it's, I, I mean, but then that kind of goes back to what I was saying about uh, you as the example that aren't, weren't those psychologists uh, using the, your tweets as just as a way to, um, to silence you, not just because, I mean, yeah, I'm sure it made some of them uncomfortable, but, but just because, I mean, isn't that hate? Just because they don't like you because you said those things or just because they don't like you because they don't like what you're doing, you know, taking away their business in their town or something. Um, right. In other words, political correctness, besides it being a matter of comfort is also being used as a sword to try to stop people from uh, doing something that they're doing because it infringes on, the, you know, because somebody else wants to gain the upper hand. Let's put it that way. Sure, sure. And I think a lot of people post-election uh, have been feeling kind of this existential dread, whether it's a little bit over the top and dramatic or not. Those feelings are real. Okay, I think a lot of people are very upset and irrationally believe that the end of the world is nigh because Trump won. Okay, regardless of whether that's silly or not, there's this dread that they feel. And what do we do with dread? Well, we have to have some kind of control, right? We have to establish or reestablish some kind of power. And how can we reestablish some kind of power? Well, we can have some power over someone else. And so I believe that part of the issue is because a lot of people are scared and having this dread, they tried to control someone. And they certainly tried to control me. Okay, I think that helped them feel a semblance of self-efficacy and power. And there was a, a, just, a, 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 it, just scratching that itch a little bit, I think, helped them feel better. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um. Yes, you know, that, that's one of the things that is really, I mean, yes, this, whether, whether people are talking about uh, men and women or, um, or politics, or, you know, um, getting up in the morning, one of the first things I do is I go to my computer and I go to Google News and, so that I can do one of my snarky, <laughs> snarky or helpful or insightful, I try to be very... Um, uh, <laughs> insightful as well, not just snarky, but um, so I can do some kind of tweet, um, and and it, is, it has gotten so pain. It's you know <laughs> uncomfortable, painful to me to see um, 
article upon article, headline upon head- headline, just uh, either tearing Trump down and, and doing what you just said. The world is coming to an end because Trump got to be president, and this is bad and that's bad, and you know whether it's North Korea or China or, or Russia, all of a sudden we're so obsessed with Russia. I'm not yeah. saying that Russia doesn't you know, present some danger, and yes, yes, but I mean, it, it is so ridiculous, and yet, and that's what, and all the people who are turning on their computers and looking at Google News or Yahoo News or something like that or reading the newspapers, and they're seeing these headlines that are so upsetting. And no wonder we all walk around, you know, on edge and, and at the brink of a nervous breakdown. Sure, yeah. Well, it, it verifies what they believed to be true was that things would be utopian and beautiful if their person won and things would be horrible if the other guy won, okay? And that's consistent with their viewpoint. So in some ways, they're desperately uh, convinced that, that the world has to go poorly in order for their point of view to be correct. So they're, yeah. they're, they're, they're weighing things being okay versus being right, and they're choosing being right instead of being okay with things, which is a very sad an unfortunate calculation, which increases divisiveness, I think, between the parties and between people. Yes, and, and really, literally, putting people... Um, I mean, aren't you seeing patients uh, just much more on edge, much more anxious, much more depressed yes. than usual? Yes, absolutely. I think, and, and, and I would suggest that there's, there is that existential dread. This, uh, there is a huge vacuum and I don't know if it's just in the last year or so with, with the political climate, but I, you know, I've been practicing. I've been in the business for about 25 years already, but I've had private practice for 14 years. And I have seen more and more young people in particular struggle so profoundly with meaning of life issues and purpose of life issues and where do I fit. Uh, and I think some of it has to do with this political correctness and this, this political atmosphere. I think another piece of it, has to do with this terrible discomfort uh, and confusion about sex roles. And now I purposely didn't use the term gender roles. I'm using the term sex roles here because I'm talking about biology. Mm-hmm. And I see so many young men struggle to understand where they're supposed to be in the world as men. What does it mean to be a man? How am I supposed to be? Am I supposed to be macho? Am I supposed to be super sensitive? Can I be both? What's going on with this? How do I fit in? How can I win the, the, the affections of a woman? Do I have to be one extreme or the other? Or can I be all things to all people and all women? It's, they are so confused. And I think the, the degree to which they are confused, women are also confused. And I think we're seeing so much of that in practice today, and, and not too many people are able to put their finger on it. Yes, that, yes, that's absolutely true. And, um, uh, you know, there was that, that article that um, I read that, that you're aware of, uh, a survey, Millennials Using Sex Before First Date as Interview. Yes. I, I mean, the idea that, <laughs> I mean, it used to be, let's see, which date are you going to sleep with them on? Mm-hmm. Um, now mm-hmm. it's that men and women, millennials in particular, are, um, are <laughs> I mean, it's just so crazy, are, are yeah. having sex uh, and then deciding if they want to actually go on a date. You yeah. know, <laughs> it, it, yeah. it's so sad and first of all, so dangerous. You know, we haven't, uh, we st- <laughs> I don't know, haven't millennials heard <laughs> that there's, I mean, yes, we have drugs now that treat uh, AIDS, but really... Uh, it's you know it's a whole cocktail of drugs and it's not pleasant and and um, you still have I mean it's not a, a good state to be in when you're HIV positive and having to take all of these things so and, and not to mention all the less severe uh, kinds of uh, STDs so it just seems it it just seems really crazy yes and I think it's a natural consequence of this kind of existential nihilism that the millennials are in. Mm-hmm. And I'm not talking necessarily a psycho-spiritual thing, uh, although I think that contributes to it, but where do we fit in in the world? What is my purpose? What am I here to do? Am I valuable as a man, as a woman, as a young person, as a millennial, as, you know, all of those things? 
And I think so many people are lost that they have this, what I call, existential nihilism. And so if you can't support yourself and feel good about yourself and your life and your future and your relationships because uh, you kind of know where you belong, well, what's left is a hedonism. It's a very, very shallow seeking of pleasure. And so this, I think, is the sleeping on the first date or not even calling it a date, just hookups. It's the hookup mentality. And I think it also is contributing to uh, if there is a rape culture in college, I certainly think that there's a question about whether there is. But if there is, I certainly think that this has a profound impact on that because if we can't communicate and, and be you know, intimate on a deeper level, well, we'll just be intimate on the most shallow level possible. And if we have to use drugs and alcohol to get there, fine. That seems to be the attitude with uh, the, the college culture these days. Well, yes, and I blame it all. I talk about this. Um, uh, you know, I've written this, these books. Bad. My first book was Bad Boys, Why We Love Them, How to Live With Them, and When to Leave Them. Mm-hmm. That was a while ago. And then my more recent book is Bad Girls, Why Men Love Them, and How Good Girls Can Learn Their Secrets. Mm-hmm. And um, what, what this whole bad girl, bad boy thing is about primarily is divorce. Parents divorce, mm-hmm. and when kids grow up, and now it's you know so many generations because uh, the divorce has been has gained in popularity for several generations now. Um, when they see their parents and even grandparents uh, that that they were in love and then they got divorced and they were so hurt and, and their lives, uh, one at least of the parents, uh, their lives were destroyed, and it has made them fearful. Of become of falling in love and becoming intimate, and then taking the risk that if you let yourself be that vulnerable, you're going to be hurt, just like you saw mommy or daddy or grandma. Yes, exactly. I agree with you 100. percent Yes. So that's so, really sad. Right, and and again, if you can't have the rich, if you can't have the perfect and the wonderful and the beautiful, you'll go for the profane, right? You'll go for the crumbs. You'll, you'll yes. scrape for what you can get. And if that's what you do in relationships, that's the, the cheap sex and the drugs and all that kind of stuff, or going for the unattainable person in, in almost a fetish-like manner. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, my, I hear the music again. This is, this is going by too quickly. <laughs> but um, we will get more into this. I want to talk about, you know, this. I want to talk about sex when we come back, so everybody stay tuned. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch. My guest is Dr. Dathan Paterno. Uh, We're talking about sex and political correctness and politics and parenting and the whole nine yards. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787, Hello? and ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. My guest is Dr. Dathan 
Paterno. He is a clinical psychologist and the clinical director at Park Ridge uh, Psychological Services in Illinois. He is also the author of two books, Ladies and Gentlemen, and then his more recent book, Desperately Seeking Parents, and then his new book that he's working on, Making Parenting Great Again. Um, So I promised we were going to talk about sex. (laughs) Continue talking about sex. Um, You know, one of the things that that I'm sure you see, uh, I certainly see it, and it just is so sad, girls, it's especially, you know, what you were talking about as far as... um, Millennials and you know having uh, sex before the first date, like to check out whether it's worth it to spend money on this person for a real date. Um, uh, girls uh, are, are are have convinced themselves. Some girls, too many girls, have convinced themselves. Like college girls, I'm talking about, for example. I, I don't even want to think about it in high school age, but you know that too. Um, have convinced themselves that they can be like boys, that sex, ah, you know, you don't have to, uh, it, sex is nothing, you know, it can be casual, and you can have lots of sex partners, and, and that's okay, that's cool, um, I'm not going to get attached, you know, it's not going to bother me if the guy doesn't call me after we have sex, and they tell themselves this, and they have these hookups, and then <laughs> whether it's a high school girl, a college girl, or, you know, um, or 30 or 40 year old or older, it, it does hurt. You know, women are just made that way that they get attached and part of it is hormonal and everything else that when they do have sex, they can, you know, do, go do it and pretend that they, they're going to just be casual about it. But really, I mean, unless the guy was <laughs> really bad, <laughs> really, they um, do at least want the guy to call, even if they have decided that they don't want to see him again, you know, maybe there are other reasons or whatever, but they want that they want that feeling that they weren't just a whore, that they weren't just uh, a one-night stand, and they want to feel like that the guy really likes them, even if, even if you know, they had told themselves that that didn't matter. Yes, it's tragic. And it involves a lie. It involves the lie that says that my biology doesn't matter, that men and women are essentially the same, that we don't have unique and complementary traits based on natural law, based on biology, based on whatever, if you want to call it God's creation, whatever it is, but we do have unique and complementary traits. And if we don't spend our time learning to revel in those unique complementary traits, mm-hmm. we're going to lie to ourselves and we're going to miss out on wonderful things. And we're also going to lie to ourselves and say that we can handle certain things that we were never meant to handle. And we see this with young women all the time. Uh, nothing breaks my heart more than a 20-something-year-old woman who has gone through a good half a dozen years lying to herself like that and then finding that she is feeling terribly empty because she is ready now to be married and have children or find her mate or whatever it is, and she can't do it. She can't pivot hard enough and fast enough, and there, isn't a, enough, uh, uh, there aren't enough available men who are at that point with her where, where they can match up. Uh, and so there's a, a lot of people who they can't find a good person, and so what's out there? You have bars, you have Tinder, you have Match.com, and you have basically church groups. <laughs> Other than that, it's really hard for 20-something women to find good men out there. Uh, and, and they're not the, the only guilty parties here. Um, men are equally lying to themselves that this is not only okay, but that this is benevolent, okay, that, that women don't mind this and that this is just what yes. men do. Well, that's not, hyper, that's not hyper-masculinity. That's not even masculinity at all. That's hypo-masculinity, okay? You hear yes. about this term hypo-masculinity or hyper-masculinity, and there, there's, I can't remember what college it is in Canada that has a, 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 a penance room or, or a place where you can repent for your hyper-masculinity. I think it's garbage. These huh. kind of acts are not hyper-masculine. They're hypo-masculine because men are protective of women. They cherish women. They want women to feel safe. And any kind of stuff on a college campus or in these, these short-term, bogus, shallow relationships is the exact opposite. So I don't even consider that masculinity. This is why I think young men need to completely redefine what masculine is. Yes, and I think part of the problem is, um, you know, to go back to 
part of the problem is those those feminists, the same ones that were marching in the Women's March, um, or, you know, I, I'm sort of being uh, facetious, but, well, facetious about them being the ones in the Women's March. I mean, it started before that. I think these years, these decades, since feminism came about, um, this has, I mean, yes, you can actually start before that and say all kinds, you know, when, when men were... Uh, were um, being sexist and they had all these advantages and so on. But when women then, when the feminist movement came to sort of counteract that, uh, we, we sort of have gone too far the other way and men are feeling uh, emasculated, castrated, and um, are pushing back. And, and I think some of these things, you know, it, it, I mean, now even thinking, oh, well, I did her a favor. I had sex with her. She really wanted it. And, you know... Uh, I mean, there's, there's all this going back and forth between who's on top, so to speak, uh, right. between men and women, and, and it's hurting both uh, sexes. Correct. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I think, you, you, number one, you hit on something that I believe very strongly in is this pendulum swing in our culture. You know, it happened with prohibition. Okay, yeah, there were problems with alcohol. Some people were struggling with alcohol use, and there was uh, all that uh, problem. And then, so what did we do? Well, we created prohibition, right? Let's get rid of drinking altogether. The teetotalers won, all right? But then we see a problem with that. And so then we had to kind of come to the middle. We had to repeal prohibition and then have treatment and, and laws to help people who struggle, okay? So our culture tends to go from one extreme to the other. Here we have another example. We have a patriarchal system, and men had some advantages, and there were some, you know, uh, some, some negative things in the 50s. I think the 50s were great with some things, but there were some things that were out of balance. Okay, so then comes the feminist movement, the, I would say the modern hyper-feminist movement, and they went to the opposite extreme, right, too far uh, the other way to devalue masculinity and to over-glorify and, I would say, idolize femininity, but a bastardized view of femininity. And in the process, a lot of men are saying, okay, well, if I'm not supposed to be 50s John Wayne masculine, uh, I'm not going to be the 70s hyper-sensitive Alan Alda mask or, uh, masculine, okay? Uh, what am I supposed to be? And mm-hmm. so, again, the least common denominator is sex and pleasure. And that's what young men are running to because it's the only thing that makes sense to them. Mm-hmm. Well, and of course, you know, um, going back to what you were saying about the this existentialist angst that people, um, especially millennials, are going through, and you can kind of understand it because when they're, you know, they're growing up and the world is so confused, and, and of course, uh, the main thing is the threat of terrorism, or not, not even just a threat anymore. Um, there are terrorist right. attacks now coming uh, fast and furious, and... Um, that's my other persona. Um, I am the terrorist therapist. I've gone to really bad boys um, now. And, um, and that is, you know, when people are, when they're millennials and they, their whole life is ahead of them and they see what's happening in the world, they, of course, have to wonder. I mean, aside from who the president is, they just, in general, they have to wonder whether, uh, whether they're, how long they're going to live. You know, maybe they, like, it's, uh, it's, um, Pleasure, have pleasure now, have dessert first. Yes, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Right. That's the attitude on college campuses. And I think uh, one of the things we, we didn't really touch on is the media and how they have struggled to portray or lead or follow when it comes to sex roles. You know, I grew up in the 80s where uh, fathers were portrayed as doofuses, okay, the John Hughes movies in particular. You know, the adult men were just these, these dumb, you know, idiotic people who were completely out of touch and they weren't very masculine. Uh, and then you had the opposite in the media, which was the Conan the Barbarian and the Rambo. Mm-hmm. So you had this mm-hmm. hyper-violent, you know, Adonis-like bodies. And then you had this doofus kind of, uh, you know, uh, persona. And then in the 70s, we had what I call wuss rock, which is air supply and seals and croft and bands like that that had really long hair like women, and they sang falsetto like women. They were almost becoming women-like. And I just think 
men are just so confused. What do you want, yes. women? <laughs> yes, know, and, and now because, there's the thing with women getting these pixie haircuts. Uh, you know, that's back, and that's supposed to be, I don't know what it's supposed to be. But, right. um, but we're coming, I'm looking at the clock, and I want to make sure that we have a chance to, um, would you like to tell people to go to your website, or where would you like them to go? Well, you can find me on Twitter. It's at Dr. Dathan Paterno. That's where I'm going to be doing all my heinous uh, tweets uh, so people can follow that. Um, but my book that's going to be coming out probably in the next month or so, I'm going to get it done uh, hopefully in the next couple of weeks. We call it Making Families Great Again, Alpha Parenting and the Next Great Generation. And I'm going to be talking about uh, sex roles, uh, particularly uh, mothers and fathers, and regardless of what they've been um, brainwashed into in the last couple generations, I believe that they need to be alpha with their children. I think that parents really hold the key to changing sex roles in our in our culture. Moms and dads need to have a firm uh, but reasonable control and a firm but reasonable and loving dominance in the home, and I think that kids will really benefit from that. Um, when, uh, when that comes out, um, there will be a website that's linked to that, but for now my website is P as in Paul, R as in Robert, Psych.com, prpsych.com. And that stands for uh, Park Ridge, yes. the psychological services clinic that Dr. Paterno has created. Well, thank you so much. This has been uh, quite a, <laughs> it was great talking with you about all of these things because sometimes I feel like I'm in, uh, <laughs> I'm in, I don't know, I, I, people, people need to kind of wake up to a lot of what's going on and, and, uh, uh, and try to stop, you know, try to make life, um, you know, stop where we're heading and stop this train, actually, so that we can go back to some of the basic things that uh, made, made our society great. That's and right. That, <laughs> that we want right. to make it, where we want to make it great again. So, Dr. Dathan Paterno, thank you so much. And thank you all for listening. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch. And I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. 